When God judges, the decision is final and he makes the judgment real. We're going to talk about that in about five minutes as we study 2 Kings chapter 24. It's a very interesting time to look at what God is saying. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Jen. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we take you through the Bible in one year. And we have Corey and Ryan with us today. They're coming up in about 20 minutes. Corey. I'm going to be taking a look at Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He was a pretty brutal person, uh, but he was used as God's tool of judgment against Judah. Ryan? Well, today I'm dealing with what seems to be a biblical contradiction. See, the book of Jeremiah says that King Jehoiakim would have no successor, but Kings and Chronicles record that his son did actually succeed him. So how can this be reconciled? We'll talk very, about it. Very good, Brian. Look forward to that in about 25 minutes or about 20 minutes. Janice? This is our fun-filled Friday question. I'm going to ask it anywhere from 2 Kings chapter 1 through 25. Second Kings 24, 1 through 10. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken by his servants the prophets. Surely at the commandment of the Lord this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood which the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers. Then Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land any more, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 1 through 10. Second Kings chapter 24 and 25, as we read through the Bible, we find ourselves in a very interesting place. Now, the Bible records the failures of all people, even his own people. We can observe a trend in the Old Testament. Cities, nations, and people fall because of their willful sin against God. Their willful sin against the Lord. People are saved because of their acknowledgement of God and their repentance 
from sin. It's still true today. The city of Jerusalem had repented before, but they had fallen into sin for the last time in this portion of their history. Now, the Bible makes this clear in our reading today. 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. Here's what it says. Surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. And all because of the innocent blood that he shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Boy, it's so important for us today to pay attention to God and his morality and his purposes for us. Innocent blood. May we always ask God for his forgiveness and truth before we find ourselves in the place of judgment. Now, let me ask you this question, because this is important. Is there innocent blood today? Just let you think about that. With all the things going on. Okay, well, we're going to talk about that. The fall of Jerusalem, 2 Kings 24. I want to tell you something. Uh, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. This is really something. I mean... The fall of Jerusalem is incredible. Now, I want to say thank you for your donations. They really help us, and we appreciate that. But I just need to say that we are behind, and uh, we have to make some decisions. So uh, I, I would pray that God would help us, but he's got to help you too. Father, I pray for our partners, the people who give and people who haven't given who need to. But I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would touch the folks and help our people, Lord, in Jesus' name. And help us today, Father, as we look at this to hear what your word says to us so we can consider it today, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, listen carefully because this is interesting. 2 Kings 24, let's begin with verse 1. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, bands of people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord. To destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants the prophets, surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all he had done. And also because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Now, this is important. When God judges, the verdict stands. Now, Jesus Christ has taken our sin, so we praise God for his forgiveness. And my question is this. Have you asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins? I'm just saying that would be a really good idea right now. 
And Father, I pray, if you haven't, let me invite you to join me. Father, we pray today. In Jesus' name, forgive us of our sin. Father, we come to you and help us change our lives. We need a change. We believe you died on the cross and rose again. We just need that. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We need to remember that because that's how the Lord works. And the Lord is the divine mind. He's above all of us. He's bigger than the government. He's bigger than anything. We need to keep that in mind. 2 Kings 24, 5 says, Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers, and then Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elanathan or Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Second point. Sin can be transgenerational or cultural. We must seek God's wisdom and turn away from sins that have been passed on to us. How do you know? How do you know? You read the Bible and God tells us to love your enemies. God tells us how to handle each other. He tells us what we need to do. That's how you know. You don't trust in what you've been taught from, you know, ages ago. Read the Bible. The Bible renews us and keeps us steady on God's course. Very, very interesting. All right, let's read on. 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 10 says this. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. The city was besieged. See, God had chosen Nebuchadnezzar to fulfill his judgment. He chose him. And the Lord can use enemies to push rebellion against him. The Lord can use enemies to punish rebellion against him. This is what we need to remember. That enemies of our state come and we need to say, God, help us to overcome them. And the Lord will. But sometimes we are evil in our doings and they come against us and we say we have to build a bigger army, have a bigger stuff and do all this big stuff to... Hold on a minute. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if we repent, if we change our ways, then suddenly the divine mind's in play. And when that's in play, things change. And let me say something. It's important for you and I to remember that as we repent... And as we come to Jesus Christ, he will make our enemies totally powerless in front of us. And we won't have to spend billions and billions and trillions of dollars beefing up our armies and all that stuff. But we'll need to get right with God. God will change the way things are. And we'll make ourselves right with him. Father, help us today to come to you. We repent of our sins. Teach us your way and show us your paths. In the name of Jesus, amen.
this character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Well, it's time now to continue on in our Bible study. And today I want to talk about an alleged Bible contradiction that seems very problematic. And here's the issue. Jeremiah 36 records that King Jehoiakim shall have none to sit upon the throne of David. But both 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles record that his son Jehoiachin did in fact reign after Jehoiakim died. So how then can this particular contradiction be resolved? Well, let's take a look. Critics of the Bible claim that the scriptures contain many errors and contradictions, and therefore could not be the inspired word of God as it claims. For example, in Jeremiah 36.30, the prophet proclaims that King Jehoiakim shall have none to sit upon the throne of David. Yet both 2 Kings 24.6 and 2 Chronicles 36.9 record that his son Jehoiachin reigned in his place. Is this not a contradiction? In Jeremiah 36, God commands the prophet to write on a scroll all the offenses he has against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations, and then to read it in the house of the Lord in the hearing of all the people. God was giving his people a chance to turn from their evil ways. However, the king, Jehoiakim, had little regard for the Lord, and so he sliced up the scroll and cast it into the fire. Because of this, God punishes Jehoiakim by removing his family line from the throne of David. Although 2 Kings 24 and 2 Chronicles 36 at first appear to contradict God's sentence against the king, since these passages reveal that his son Jehoiachin did in fact reign upon his father's death, further reading reveals that Jehoiachin only actually reigned for three months. And most likely, since the nation was in a state of unrest, there would have been no official coronation ceremony. As Old Testament scholar Gleason Archer observed, the point of this sentence of doom on Jehoiakim was that he would have no dynasty to succeed him. And this is exactly what happened. Indeed, after only three short months, Jerusalem fell to King Nebuchadnezzar, and Jehoiachin was dragged off to captivity in Babylon, from which he never returned. No son or descendant of his was ever permitted to reign as king thereafter on the throne of David. From this, it is clear to see that there is absolutely no contradiction here. So as you can see, with a little bit of research and study, this apparent contradiction is solved. Jehoiachin did replace his father, but only for three short months. And because of the unrest of the nation, he probably didn't even have an official coronation ceremony. And further, after the three months, he was carried off to Babylon, never to return again. Just like God said, Jehoiakim's dynasty was completely removed from the throne of David. And this is really something because the, the political structures here, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, now, come on, guys, get with the program. And they don't do it. And, uh, you know, he finally has to destroy the city to get him to understand what he's saying. That, that's absolutely <laughs> fascinating. Uh, thank you, Ryan, for that report. We really appreciate it. Corey. 
All right, Nebuchadnezzar. It's time to learn about Nebuchadnezzar. History tells us a lot about him. I mean, he he shows up on the pages of the Bible, but he kind of breezes in and breezes out, and then and then he'll have a little bit of a center stage later on in the scripture. But uh, what can we learn about him from history? It's surprisingly a lot. Take a look. The Bible's portrayal of the Neo-Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar is an interesting one. From the perspective of the people living in Judah and Jerusalem, he was a fearsome and war-savvy enemy to whom the prophets of God said they must bow one way or the other. To the first wave of noble exiles that were trained in his courts, Nebuchadnezzar was their new king, and he's portrayed in ways that demonstrate his pride, anger, and eventually how he was humbled with a bout of what today would be labeled as mental illness. The Bible also mentions Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian building projects, specifically as a source of pride for this ancient king. In the history recorded outside of the Bible, we see a similar picture emerge with even more detail. Nebuchadnezzar II was the son of Nebuchadnezzar. With military might and strong alliances, these two men led Babylon to decisive military victories over the dominant Assyrian Empire. Eventually, they completely destabilized it, defeating its leaders and taking its place as the new world power of the ancient Near East. When Nebuchadnezzar took the throne, he solidified his power by crushing rebellions and taking his place as the shepherd of the city of Babylon. This meant that he launched huge building campaigns, funded, no doubt, by the spoils of his warfare. And the city of Babylon became a major project. Babylon's main deities were Marduk and Nebo. And one of Nebuchadnezzar's finest building achievements was the rebuilding and refurnishing of their temple structures. He restored the great ziggurat of Babylon that's often associated with the Tower of Babel. And he rebuilt the temple of Marduk. Nebuchadnezzar also fixed the canal of the Euphrates that passed through the city and a large processional bridge to facilitate the yearly festival and procession celebrating Marduk's victory and order. Nebuchadnezzar built the inner and outer walls of Babylon, his large palace and various temples, shrines, idols, and public buildings. This is the background for his boast of being Babylon's creator recorded in Daniel 4. Also notable are the many inscriptions Nebuchadnezzar left behind. Many are dedication inscriptions that he always seems to have ended with prayer. His prayers are noteworthy for his purposeful, humble approach. A king who owes all of his success to Marduk and the gods, a worshiper who wants peace, protection, and to serve the god he's addressing. Interestingly, Nebuchadnezzar II founded what may rightly be called the world's first museum. In a wing of his palace, he displayed artifacts from captured nations, objects excavated from ancient civilizations, inscriptions, statues, and some of his own commissioned work. He opened this collection to be viewed by the public. It testified to all of his supposed worthiness to protect and rule mankind. Yeah, so a lot of interesting things being done by Nebuchadnezzar. And, but I think the motivation is really, really interesting. I mean, when you look at uh, his motivation, he needed to keep the kingship. He needed to, as he was expanding his empire, uh, 
be seen by his subjects as someone who was extremely powerful, uh, but simultaneously was the best worshiper of the gods and was the most humble uh, because people want security and he craved people needing him as security. I mean, the perfect example is in this museum of sorts that he opened up. You know, that's right up my alley. That's fantastic. But it wasn't just the love of history that fueled Nebuchadnezzar's love for ancient history. It was the fact that he could then claim that he not only was king and keeper of Babylon, he was keeper of human history as well. So really interesting to to, to do a bit of a deep dive into this ancient man. You know, this is uh, really interesting because King Nebuchadnezzar uh, is, I, I believe he's in heaven and you we don't necessarily agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I think we'll see. He was an idolater. Uh, well, so, there's no question about that. So we'll see. That. Like, I, I don't know where God kind of kind of lands with that with ancient man. Like, did he Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged God, but did he stop acknowledging these? I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll I, see. I, you know, we go to Daniel. Daniel's an interesting character. He is a wonderful. Uh, wisdom, man of wisdom, and God mm-hmm. speaks through Daniel chapter four. Mm-hmm. And he says that uh, in that time, Nebuchadnezzar writes about the God of sure. Daniel. Yeah. And he writes amazing things about him. And what I find interesting in this time of history is that we are, we are learning the character, a little bit about the character of Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. And that is really something. Mm-hmm. This is a distant Babylonian king you don't really know about from history itself. But this gives a side to it that is very interesting. Well, and he he did leave quite a bit. There there but is quite an impressionable mark. That's that's right. But the the best encounter with the God Almighty. Sure, but but there's what he said and there's what he meant. Okay. And we don't know what he meant. But my thinking is that... And isn't it wonderful that we're not the final judge? We're yes. not. Yeah, we're not. But I just think mm. it's fascinating. It's a, it's a curious It's a curious curiosity, isn't it? It, it is. And He's I a think, really interesting guy. But the chapter in the Bible that's recorded by him, I, I believe, was he meant that, mm-hmm. you know? And the Holy Spirit inspired that, Yeah, I believe. Well, so that's interesting. We'll just see if, because we don't know the timeline on when he wrote all these other confessions to, like, we have also his words in history, these confessions of him being this worshiper, the best worshiper of all of these other gods as well. So is it a Naaman situation yeah. where he's, he's like, forgive me, God, but I also have yeah. to worship these other ones? <laughs> or is it or a Manasseh situation? Yeah. Exactly. We don't know. He's a dynamic, he was, he was a dynamic king, a dynamic character. Yeah. Well, he so, certainly was. Yeah. And I, I suspect, and because I have a hard time with Manasseh, okay? I don't understand why you because like, Nebuchadnezzar was way worse. He was way worse, but he was a, he was a, a other, other nation king. Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah for Who's crying kingdom? out loud. Whose kingdom, though Hezekiah was the most faithful <laughs> king to God ever, his kingdom I, was stripped down to nothing. You know, I don't we, doubt we do that. this every year. Every, I, I don't know. doubt that. I, I well, don't. I, I, to the Henry <laughs> dinner I, I, table. I, I don't doubt that. <laughs> These are the I things don't. we talk about These behind closed doors. I just, I just say that, I mean, this is the part of that I have a hard time with God. And fortunately, I'm not God. And he, he's perfect, and he'll make the right decisions on both sides. Of that. So you got Manasseh, you got Nebuchadnezzar. Who's in I heaven? I love thinking. 
thinking about it, though. It's interesting. Well, we'll find out. I mean, we're all going to discover this at Mm -hmm. some point. So Mm -hmm. anyway, that's something else people can discover if they're a new viewer to this program is, Corey, you do weekend stuff. I do. With my husband, Matlock, we do Bible Discoveries, the weekend show. So we take all of the assigned reading and we discuss questions that come up as we're reading through the text, much like will Nebuchadnezzar be in heaven? Things like this. Uh, But also we discuss questions that viewers send in as well. So you can just go over to my YouTube channel, Corey Babechko. And I also do a 10 minute recap of the reading. So if you've fallen behind in 10 minutes, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, I can get you caught back up on the reading. Corey Babechko is where you look on YouTube. Corey Babechko. Yeah. Okay. Ryan also has a YouTube channel, and yours is Ryan Hembry. Yeah, just my name, just like Corey. And you've got so, your segments on there. And some I do, stuff yeah. Coming. I upload there frequently, and uh, it's, it's seen a lot of activity lately. Going to be releasing interviews there and all sorts of fun stuff. That's so. good. So we want to subscribe to both you, and then Pastor Rod Hembry is Janice and my channel. And we uh, have the programs and some other things there, too. So make sure you check that out as well. Janice, this is time to get to the question. The question. <sighs> Here we go. <laughs> and we have no doubt with the answer on this yes, one. Yes, this one at least has a You don't a have to wait till eternity to find out this one. I like that. find out today, all right? I like that. So here we go. I'll ask the question twice, and okay. then I'll give the answers. Okay. Here we go. What commander of the king of Syria's army was said to have been a mighty man of valor, but also had leprosy? Here's the question again. What commander of the king of Syria's army was said to have been a mighty man of valor, but also had leprosy. Was it number one, Nathan? Was it number two, Nabal? Was it number three, Naaman? Those are your three choices. Now, think about that at home. And I'm going to glance over here at Ryan and Corey and see if they have an answer. Again, with the tricky names, the you know, mm-hmm. all the similar. All yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think we're pretty confident on this one. Yes. I cited him when I was talking about. I know. No, I tried not to smile. Like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the answer is Naaman. If you Naaman. said Naaman, you're absolutely correct. Let's check out. Make sure that Janice has the answer correctly and that Ryan and Corey have the answer correctly. Second Kings chapter five, verse one. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Well, the name of a channel, our channel, is BD Family and Friends. Bible Discovery Family and Friends, BD Family and Friends. And it's got an app and it's on the Roku box. We want to encourage you to get a Roku box and you can watch us 24 seven. We've got all the programs there. Everything's there, you'll see it. Plus a 24 seven linear stream, it's great. But today we need to pray, Lord, I pray for those around me to know who you are. Help me to truly know who you are. 